Before we begin, please refer to the disclaimer and link in the podcast notes, and note that all opinions expressed in this podcast are intended for informational purposes only and should not be treated as investment or financial advice. Is Bitcoin digitized gold? That's according to BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager. Big players in crypto sue each other and Binance in the news again with senior executives quitting. Does it spell doom? We discuss all this and more in today's weekly recap actionable insights, and a breakdown into the crypto market, all in under 30 minutes just for you. We'll start with the market update, followed by the new BlackRock news. Thanks, Leon. Uh, relatively quiet uh, week for the crypto markets. The volumes were kind of down across the board, uh, with Bitcoin and ETH sort of leading or down in, in a negative week as well. So I think we have BTC down about 3% and uh, ETH down about 5%. So look, Zooming out, they're both. I, I, I mainly am looking at BTC here. Can it keep above thirty thousand? Is the main, the main thing that I'm looking at. Um, again, not really too interested in the day to day movements, but it would be nice to see BTC hold above thirty thousand, which it it rose through recently off the off the back of the ETF news uh, coming out probably in the the second half of June. Uh, but yeah, overall year to date, BTC is still. You know, by far the best performing asset uh, on the planet uh, so far this year, but obviously off a very, very uh, painful 2022. So that's all for this week. Yeah, awesome, man. It's a little bit of a quiet week, I would say. But now let's move on to some of the biggest news in the week. We've got three news articles for you here. Uh, the first big news is BlackRock has actually come out and they're starting to talk up Bitcoin. Now, Nick, but what did BlackRock say? I'm really interested because I want to know. Yeah, this is a super interesting one, uh, considering that I think BlackRock were traditionally, and especially their CEO, uh, Larry Fink, you know, was, you know, cast, used to be cast Bitcoin in a negative light. Now they're coming out with the recent Bitcoin filing and they're coming out with like, he's coming out with the strongest terms possible endorsing Bitcoin. Uh, even um, if you read between the lines, even crypto in general, which I was really um, surprised to see. Uh, a lot of the time when you see a lot of these big asset managers talking about crypto, they'd only stick to Bitcoin. Uh, so he did talk about Bitcoin's potential as a digital gold and as its um, sort of potential uh, as a hedge against inflation and against sort of currency debasement and devaluation. But he also come out and labeled crypto, you know, in this same scope as sort of the digital gold. He didn't, you know, come out and name any other cryptocurrencies outside of Bitcoin. But yeah, I was very shocked to see um, the wording of crypto in him talking about it. Normally, when you see these big uh, people talk, they just stick to Bitcoin. So really interested to see, you know, talking about crypto in a more general sense here. But uh, I mean, Nick, uh, before BlackRock, they used to say some pretty bad stuff about Bitcoin. It seems like they've pivoted at the moment. Uh, what's the really significance of this? So who are they in the market? Are they important at all? And how large of an impact could they actually have on Bitcoin since they're calling it gold now? Yeah, so uh, BlackRock is um, most famously the largest asset manager in the world. It's something in the in the realm of nine to ten trillion dollars, I think, of assets under management. And as you said, that it's very significant because they did previously come out and I uh, think did call Bitcoin an index for money laundering, which you know was some of the harshest words you can use for Bitcoin to discredit it. And now, fast forward, you know, five years later, five to six years later, I think it just marks that. Uh, threshold that Bitcoin is is crossing into a legitimate alternative sort of 
asset. Like you don't even know what to call it, what it will be called in 10 years time or whatever. But I think the main headline is that others suspect, you know, that crypto and Bitcoin is going to be that extra sort of uh, um, asset out there, you know, in the world that the biggest names like BlackRock are, you know, looking to cater to because they're obviously seeing demand and that's why they're filing their Bitcoin ETF because their customers are crying out, you know, for Bitcoin. So to them, it seems like it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, I can definitely see it from their point of view. You know, it's another vehicle for them to uh, increase fees and charge more fees on their clients. And hey, if 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 it's out there, they they can get a cut. I wouldn't see why they wouldn't be interested. It's just very interesting, right? That they do change their tone because they know it's not going away. Um, but yeah, that's the big institutions for you. I'd also say as well, um, uh, talking about crypto, there, I wouldn't be surprised to see BlackRock start to release other cryptocurrency products as well. Now there's sort of he's talking about crypto. This is the one that I'm actually surprised to. I think is a catalyst for Ethereum as well. Um, if that gets more regulatory clarity, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them roll out, you know, dive into Ethereum. And if, and if we see that, I think it'd just be another big boost to the sort of asset class. Yeah, that's right. They'll say Bitcoin is digital gold and Ethereum is digital oil. I think that's the way we're going so far. Sounds good. So, uh, Nick, we'll continue with the giant uh, institutional news. Not Web 2 institutions, but Web 3 institutions. We can't, we've come out and they're suing each other. Who's sued who? And what's all this drama about? It's Gemini and DCG. Who are they? So Gemini are one of the biggest uh, centralized exchanges and crypto sort of platforms that you can buy and sell and lend on. And DCG is Digital Currency Group, which is one of the sort of more OG and oldest uh, cryptocurrency funds, uh, managers, uh, and VCs in the space. Uh, they've been around you know, since the, since the get-go. And they've recently had a lot of trouble with Gemini because they've had over, I think, $630 million that has been locked for their jet for the uh, Gemini clients with DCG in a company that was uh, Genesis that filed for bankruptcy in January. So now, uh, basically, Gemini have come out and sued uh, DCG, accusing them of some quite serious allegations, such as accounting fraud, lying to counterparties, saying they're not as honest and not reporting, you know, what the correct state of the balance sheets are and loans and everything to that sort. So this was a, a big one. And I think a lot of the market was anticipating it, but, you know, we didn't hear a reply from DCG. Uh, and so now they filed um, a lawsuit because it doesn't look like this one is being settled anytime soon. Now I've got a question for you, uh, Nick and Matt. Like, what are the actual impacts of this uh, giant lawsuit? What are the knock-on effects for anyone that might be in crypto? I think it could be big, right? So, Matt, what do you think? You let me know. Yeah, this is an interesting one because I think these two entities used to be like quite a lot more market share and sort of power over the crypto industry. And I think, um, yeah, we've, it's this has been, as Nick said, being this fight has been going in public for some time now. And um, this is all reaction to last year's sort of events with Terror and Three Arrows Capital, a lot of different, I guess, collapses. So, yeah, yeah, I think if the market has been able to like almost price it in, for lack of a better term, that like the, the possibility that these two entities don't come to some sort of resolution. Um, and, you know, if you were a proponent of someone who, you know, the efficient market hypothesis or someone who knows all the information's out there, okay, the market's going to price that in accordingly. You know, you could argue crypto is extremely inefficient still. So that would be an argument why it could still cause prices to, you know, Probably we're more talking here about the possibility of prices really crashing. 
Uh, but yeah, my my sort of gut feel is that yeah, this won't really have any impact on on markets uh, in in sort of the short to medium term. But uh, I'm not sure how you how you feel, Nick. Yeah, I know we had a good discussion uh, back in the office when we were talking about this exact thing about uh, whether DCG are sort of smaller in stature now. They're not as big maybe as they once were in terms of in their relation to the rest of the crypto ecosystem. Uh, the, the big un, uh, unsettling thing is here, you still aren't sure about these counterparties because uh, you know you haven't seen the state of the DCG balance sheet. You don't know who some silent counterparties are. I guess what I've seen in the last year or so, the counterparties are very quiet and only sort of come out once a lot of the stuff is being made public uh, because there may be other sort of institutions that may be underwater that are kind of hoping for a rebound in prices or something to get them out of the hole. Uh, so this is the one unnerving thing, but I did see a stat thrown out there that they're still, I think, the 10th or I think they're 10 to top 15 by by sort of I think market valuation in all the assets that they hold, so they're still sizable, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but not as big as they once were. So I'm maybe I'm going to take the the uh, other approach that mad. I'm probably thinking maybe there could be some silent counterparties that perhaps may be affected by DCG, and I think we just have to wait and find out. But these things might take a while to play out in court. Yeah, exactly right. We, as we, if we know anything, some uh, lawsuits do take a quite a while. Um, so we'll keep you guys up to date. If we think you need to know anything or take any action over at Collective Shift, you can trust us to um, keep you updated. But I think for now, Matt, I want to pivot to you now. There has been some news. Binance is in the news again, unfortunately, right? It seems like these guys can't catch a break. What's happening with Binance? Should I be worried first? What, what's the story, man? Yeah, so what happened was there was some reports that came out that um, a few different senior executives uh, from Binance who worked in sort of the compliance and uh, I guess regulation division, um, they yeah have had quit. And the reports here are that it uh, was you know over a, a disagreement over how uh, the CEO is I guess um, actioning or responding to the Department of Justice or the DOJ, which is sort of a criminal federal agency in the US, which there has been reports that for several years they've been investigating finance and it's looking increasingly likely that they're putting together some sort of case when that comes out. Um, oh, well, if that comes out, I suppose technically it's unknown, but I think many in the industry would would suspect it's more likely than not at this stage that it is coming. Uh, so I think when you do see those departures all at the same time, that's probably the main thing that's worrying. I suppose when you've got uh, someone like you know CZ, the CEO, his argument would be, well, you know, this this company is so enormous now, you're always going to have turnover of staff. And yes, whilst this is true, and I assume their compliance department has been working probably overtime the past six months, particularly, um, it is just a bit strange that they're all senior staff all leaving at the same time uh so to your point leon you know what to your question like what does this mean for all of us just as market participants and enthusiasts of crypto um you know it, it's really just another signal it's always like another it's it's been another week and there's yet another sort of you know series of news there was some other things to do with the australian uh, binance office being being raided and then also binance australia former employees being um 
being approached for some um, investigations um, and sort of like a fact-finding sort of, um, I suppose, tasks, so to speak. Um, but so again, it's just another week and just another some news coming out about different investigations, whether there is anything actually you know, illegal going on. We simply don't know that yet. So then what's the point for all of us? Why are we talking about this? It's just another reminder really of just, I suppose because of Binance's size, just the whole uh, risk that it does pose to the entire market uh, in case something does go severely wrong. Just to put it in context for those of you unaware, when FTX went down and it hit the headlines all around the world, they were probably the third largest exchange in the world, probably behind Coinbase and, and Binance. Uh, Binance by far is the biggest. Uh, so that sort of gives you an appreciation of just just the, the sheer like, small possibility that something extremely bad goes on. It would have drastic impacts on sentiment as well as crypto prices uh, and a bunch of other issues. So I suppose that's why we sort of have been bringing it up and it's sort of hard to ignore at this stage the amount of different yeah, countries that are investigating them and all of that. So I'm not sure, Nick, if you have any other ideas of you know why why you should be, you know, communicating this or almost uh, signaling it to to our listeners. Yeah, like uh especially learning from the past with FTX, I remember seeing similar sort of headlines or even some key figures leaving I think FTX um in those months or, you know, which all made sense after sort of the collapse happens. And so the one thing I've learned probably in the last year and a half and seeing the market at the moment is sort of when there is smoke, there is some, you know, it's a high chance it's fire. And from Binance, there just appears to be a lot of smoke, if to put it friendly, you know, where we, they're even being investigated in France and Canada. And then we saw them sort of being ordered to cease their operations in Belgium, as we spoke about in the last podcast. So if you put all the pieces together, it is looking pretty ominous. And as I, me and Matt have talked about it, criminal sort of charges do appear more likely than not. Obviously, we're not you know lawyers or anything to that regard. Um, we're just sort of speculating on what we're seeing in the market at the moment. And so it's just if that does happen, there's obviously going to be a mass panic in the market and a lot of people would be very confused. And I think that's what is important just to sort of if it, you do see it coming just be able to understand that it's not out of the realm but then also to prepare yourself and potentially if that does trigger a very negative market reaction you do remember i guess the long-term value of this thing and that blackrock have started to you know file bitcoin etfs we're seeing their ceo talk, compare crypto and bitcoin to digital gold and talk about how it can revolution finance so it's not forgetting those key things in amongst what could be a very tumultuous couple months if that does eventuate. Yeah, I like the way the headspace that you guys are at. You've got to think about the long term and not uh, uh, right now. I mean, you've got to protect itself against Binance so far. So at Collective Shift, we always say, not your keys, not your coins, right? You shouldn't be just keeping your coins on Binance. And if you come over to the Collective Shift platform, we have a resource, a comprehensive guide to uh, uh, teach you and educate you on how to store your crypto. Um, but yeah, that, that sounds good. I, I like the way you guys uh, see the whole market and it, it could affect the market in the short run, but overall in the long term, Bitcoin, next 10 years, that's what I'm looking at, man. That's what I'm looking at. So 
I think we, we've got some other small news um, that we should probably let you guys know about. Uh, there's some really small uh, Circle uh, launched a wallet as a service product. It's called Circle Programmable Wallets. It's something kind of new out there. So it's uh, going to be making the user interface a little bit better for you. Um, but that's a, kind of a small news story. We'll cover it when it becomes much larger later on in the, in the, in the time that we... And we'll cover it later on down the road if it becomes a much larger story. So for now, I want to go and talk about the rapid fire. What are we uh, seeing in the market that was overappreciated or even underappreciated at the moment? So Matt, I know you were co- you you had something you wanted to share with us. Yeah, sure. There's, so there's this monthly report that's very popular uh, that comes out from Arc. Uh, so they're one of the largest sort of, I guess, tech investment funds and and other sort of innovative areas. Uh, they they have a crypto team have done for you know more than five years now, and the latest uh, monthly Bitcoin report, and uh, they came out and. Uh, put forth that their findings that nearly 70% of the circulating supply of Bitcoin. So I think at the moment there's between 18 and 19 million Bitcoin that are out there that have been mined uh, of the maximum supply of 21 million. Uh, yeah, they said uh, nearly 70% of that 18 to 19 million has not moved. Uh, so it has not moved those, I suppose, uh, Bitcoin that people have, have purchased, uh, they, they haven't moved in for at least 12 months. Why does this matter? What does it mean? Well, probably one, I guess, uh, sort of clear, obvious takeaway, or or at least, at least to me, is that there are a lot more, I suppose, high conviction holders of Bitcoin these days. Um, and people who, just what we're talking about, see sort of the long-term potential of this very very new asset in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so when you're talking about nearly 70% of the circulating supply, uh, that makes me pretty surprised, uh, pretty excited when you're talking about, uh, you know, the, the fact that these past 12 months have been pretty tumultuous for the space. And, and yet uh, so many of those, you know, people out there haven't really, haven't sold their Bitcoin. So sure, who knows what would happen if the price of Bitcoin doubled, for example. I'm sure there'd be some of those that would that would take profits. But at least for the time being, that it's something I saw in the past week that I didn't really see too many people talking about. So wanted to uh to put that out there and share it with you today. Yeah, th- thanks for that, uh, Matt. That does make me feel pretty bullish if I do say so myself. Um and you do say 18 uh, million out in circulation, but let's not forget all the lost coins that have uh, not been touched. We're kind of estimating four, 4 million so far. So we're down to like smaller and smaller chunk and people lose their t- uh, lose their seed phrases every single day. So I appreciate all those people <laughs> and uh, bad luck. <laughs> but I think, uh, Nick, you've also got something you wanted to share uh, with us, something that was un- underappreciated this week. Uh, yeah, the underappreciated item I didn't see get talked about that much was the current regulation with DeFi. So one of the uh, more smaller DeFi platforms recently come out and said that they are halting their liquidity pools and their pairs in their DeFi platform and any new products because of an ongoing SEC investigation. So the project uh, here is uh, Barnbridge, which I think got launched a couple of years ago. And so they're just like one of the first to come out and really talk about the pressure they're facing from the SEC and going as far to close a lot of their products. And now there's others such as I think Faye Protocol, which is another smaller DeFi platform, but they actually, their Discord got taken over by, I think, some US regulators um, due to an ongoing court case. So 
this is something that I'm sort of seeing and anticipating more of, especially as these DeFi platforms kind of face the full brunt of potential regulation. And yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of this uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy, isn't it? These DeFi protocols facing regulation and being sued from one side, but then they also end up facing hacks and like, you know, black ha- hackers out there. Um, and, and thanks for sharing that, Nick. I just, it just really stuns me how, how much under attack we kind of are. This brings me to my uh, thing, which is underappreciated, was the multi-chain hack. Now, I wonder if people heard about this. Uh, this is just in July, a couple of days ago, I think two days ago. Multi-chain, it is a bridge. And what that does is it helps you take crypto from one blockchain onto another. Um, they don't usually live on each other's blockchain, but because of a bridge, it allows you to move one from the other. This opens up a whole bunch of attack vectors for hackers to come in and actually exploit the system. So this was a hack, $125 million is gone. So, you know, bridges and hacks in crypto, it's the go-to target. Uh, remember, use bridges with caution. And uh, if you can avoid it, just hold the native token. Try not to bridge. Don't use any wrap versions, I think. And at the end of the day, the stablecoin issue is Circle and Tether ended up freezing USDC on the other side, which also brings about, you know, centralization talk and decentralization talk. So for me, I just feel like we're getting attacked from one end to the other. Um, but we'll get through this. We're, we're here for the long run. And then I remember that Matt said Bitcoin, 70% hasn't moved in, uh, in a whole year. And it brings me back to Bitcoin. No kind of uh, uh, bridge exploits, nothing to worry about there. Um, but I'll leave it there. That's what, something I had. Yeah, I was going to say as well, Leon, um, I think bridge hacks account for about 70% of the total cryptocurrency that is stolen um, and is that exploited. So it's by far the highest attack vector and highest chance of you know cryptocurrency being lost. And yeah. that is, um, I think once, hopefully once we get a lot of these, uh, I guess, attack vectors fixed, like it makes me really kind of um, optimistic about the industry considering that it's a pretty dire state and really just adds to the risk factors of cryptocurrency when you're using all these different, you know, bridges. And hopefully we can see this get developed a whole lot more. And I know um, Circle is creating their own sort of secure stablecoin uh, sort of platform that reduces some bridge risk. So hopefully yeah. there'll be a lot of um, upgrades to come. Yeah, and I'm excited for these upgrades because the way I see it, it's about Darwinism, right? Yes, we are under attack, but we will evolve to be stronger. And over a, a period of time, you know, new products and new releases will come out. They'll just make it much safer. This is how we get the next billion people on board. Uh, so thanks for sharing that, Nick. Uh, I feel the same way you do. Um, but I think that's a wrap for today, my friends. If you're listening on the podcast or on YouTube platform, make sure you do leave a like, subscribe, as well as leave us a comment. So if you're looking for more insights, you've got to be sure you check out the revamped Weekly Shift newsletter. It provides free, actionable insights and markets um, updates every Friday. Subscribe at collectiveshift.io forward slash newsletter. That's collectiveshift.io forward slash newsletter. We will see you very soon.